I just want to say tonight before we start, I've had a good time of fellowship for this short time that I've been here with you. And uh, I always enjoy coming up and enjoy coming up and looking at the scenery on the way up here. And I know that when I get up here in fellowship, it's going to be a blessing. So I've enjoyed my time here with you. And thank you for listening to the Word of God, because if you preach the Word of God, you don't want to just preach to the air. You want people listening to what you preach. And I thank you for listening. Tonight, we'll start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll take a different direction tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says in verse 1, he says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness, Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Let's ask God to help us tonight. Father, we thank you for your holy word that you use to keep us on the pathway that leads to life. And we pray that you'd give us a deeper understanding of your word tonight. Father, we pray that you would use this word to conform us more and more into the image of your son. And Father, we want as we study your word to light tonight more and more to look and act and talk like our savior father we ask for grace to do these things tonight in jesus name we pray amen one reason why i chose this subject i basically chose our church because we have a lot of young people in our church and one of the things that young people are facing in this age that we live in is a lot of sexual immorality. And, you know, Paul says here, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. In other words, that you should be set apart to live pure and holy in this world. Now, I know that the word sanctification depends on what context you're using it in because it can mean to be holy, it can mean to be pure, it can mean to be consecrated and just simply to be set apart. But my purpose tonight is to remind us and to reinforce this biblical fact that God's will for every born again believer is that we be holy. God's will is sanctification. A lot of people have come to you as a pastor and said, I need to know the Lord's will in this situation and that and that other situation. Should I take this job? Should I do this? Should I do that? And, you know, really, we can't give you an answer and give you a point blank answer on God's will. But what you can do is you can go into the word of God and look at principles in the word of God and then make a decision on what you need to do. But then there's other things in the word of God, like we talked about this morning. It is the will of God that you love one another. It is the will of God, he's saying tonight, and there's a lot of other things I can say, but it is the will of God that you be holy. And a lot of times when people ask me God's will, I just want to know what God's will is in my life, you know, so that I'll know what I need to do as a Christian. You know what I do? I hand them the book. Get in this book, and you'll see what God's will is. And you'll know plain and clear what you need to do to please God. But God's will is simply the thing that God wants in your life, the thing that pleases God. And in order for us to please God, we must know and do his reveal will, what theologians call the will of precepts or his written word. Paul says here in verse one, he says, finally, my brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us and how you ought to walk and please God. 
Anytime you see the word walk, it means how you are to live and please God. And then verse 2, he says, for you know what commandments we gave you through our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles had the revelation for how to please God given to them by Christ, and they passed them down to us. So the revealed will for God for our lives is sanctification. But it's not optional. It's not that we can do it or we don't have to do it if we don't want to do it. Now, it's not optional at all. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, he's speaking in the context of the day of judgment. He says, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. But he says, but he that does the will of my father, which is in heaven. Now, concerning our topic tonight, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, perfectly controlled, in other words, and rest your hope upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. In other words, don't conform yourself in the way that you used to live with all the evil desires that you pleasured in, that you desired to have pleasure with in your life. But he says this, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. You also be holy in every department of your life. You know, you've heard the hymn, take my life and let it be, consecrated Lord to thee. He wants your whole life to be totally devoted to God. Now, let me tell you this tonight. When you are at work, you are God's. When you are at school, you are God's. When you are at church, you are God's. When you are at home, you are God's. Your whole life is to be consecrated and dedicated to God. And he says here, he says, but as he who has called you is holy, you be holy. He says, in all your conduct, in everything that you involve yourself in, in this life, you need to be holy. Because it is written, God says, you be holy for I am holy. And if you read the rest of it in Leviticus, says the Lord. So basically tonight, I just want to start with this, that the Christian life is a call to holiness of life. That is the will of God. And the context of the passage that we're looking with at tonight is dealing with sexual purity. Now, I say that tonight because it desperately needs to be heard in the day and time we live in. Because we live in a perverted society. And we live in a society that, that promotes sexual perversion. And I say this because, you know, back at our church, we have, like I said, we have a lot of young people and stuff. And as a pastor, I do know that one of the things that children are really wrestling with and young people is this uh, pornography and things like that that's on the Internet. And, you know, like it's so it's so it's, it's so the devil has such an easy time to get you in trouble in your mind and your heart and your life before God. You can take this little thing out of your pocket if you got self or if you carry it in your pocket and you can have whatever you want. In any time. And so you're going to have to abstain like we were taught about in Sunday school today. And I would tell people this. If your cell phone is going to get you in trouble, throw it away. <laughs> now, I know people don't want to hear that. Oh, no, I can't do that. It's better to throw it away than to go to hell. And that's what will end up happening if some people don't get rid of it unless they learn how to overcome these sexual sins. But he's calling them to sexual purity. He said that you abstain from sexual immorality. In other words, you keep yourself away from fornication, all forms of fornication, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And what, what Paul is saying here is that you know how to master your own body. In other words, keep your body under the control of the Holy Spirit. Because he, he, in this context of here, he's dealing with a day and time when it would be simply people coming out of a pagan society like you read about in Romans chapter 1. And so he also says here, he says, and this is another translation, he says that each of you should know how to procure himself a wife. 
In other words, recognize the duty of taking one woman for his wife in holiness and honor, or you could say in sanctification and honor. And the reason he says this to them is because of the time when he said this, because there were all kind of forms of fornication and sexual uncleanness running rampant in that day. Now, He's writing to believers that were saved out of, like I said, a perverted society that was filled with all types of lewdness, uncleanness, a society that was filled with temporal prostitution and all types of whoredom and uncleanness. And I chose this passage, you know, when I first preached this at home, because our youth are growing up in a society and being saved in a society, which is good they've been saved, that runs wild with all kind of sexual excess, excess in this world. And the same with these brethren that Paul's writing to. They're growing up in a society or in a government that celebrates sin and uncleanness of all types. You know, it's, it, it promotes it and it puts a seal of approval on all kind of perversions. And a lot of these are perversions are an accepted way of life. And if you contend with it or you contest with it, you are a hater. You know, you know, you're an evil person and things like that. But it's God's will that every Christian know how to act in this manner of sex so as to be pleasing to God. And the reason I say that tonight is because Hebrews 13, 4 said, because, you know, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So a man is to know that God instituted marriage and marriage is to be honorable and each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. Monogamy is what pleases God. And all this other perversion and stuff that you see in the world is not what pleases God. 1 Corinthians 7.1, the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthian church which had a lot of problems in this area. He says, now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Then he says this, he says, but nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Because they had problems that were even worse than the ones we're reading about here in 1 Thessalonians. And later in there, he talks to the singles and the virgins, and he tells them how they are to live and to please God in this life. But the bottom line tonight is this, fornication is contrary to the will of God. And if it's unrepented of in this world through faith in Jesus Christ, Revelations 21, uh, 21.8 and 21.9, really, the sexually immoral will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, I want to read 1 Corinthians 6, 9. You know, sometimes when you read these scriptures, people say, well, you know, like, you're just a fundamentalist, you know, you're a legalist, you know, all these kind of things. No, to me, it's just simply saying this, you need to keep yourself pure before God. And if you're going to keep yourself pure before God, you're going to have to let the scriptures deal with your heart and see that fornication and all this uncleanness in the world, it displeases God. I watch ball games sometimes, and I'm going like, I'm going to have to turn it off. You know why? Because the commercials and everything <laughs> that comes in between. And, you know, I love watching football and stuff like that. But you, you have to watch when you're watching all this stuff on TV that you're not consenting to it saying, that's eh, not a big deal. It is a big deal. Any type of sexual sin or anything that they're putting on TV, it is a big deal. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he says, do you not know? that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, do not be deceived. In other words, stop being misled. You say misled by who? who? Well, I'll say first, the corrupt people in this world, like the news media and everything that pushes all this corruption. Because that's exactly what it is. It's corruption. And it's perversion, and they push it. And he's saying, stop being misled. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And the next verse is one of the sweetest verses in the world. But such was some of you, but you have been washed. And he said, you have been sanctified in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So Paul says in Romans, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Romans 6.13, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but consecrate yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So there's a lot there concerning sexual sin. And as our brother told us in Sunday school this morning, and as other people said this morning in Sunday school, you need to run from it. One translation says you need to keep on running from it. And, you know, like some of these temptations that people get tied up in, they did not run. And they did think that they were strong enough to stand there and overcome it, and they fall into that sin. But always tell yourself, I am too weak to make it on my own in this temptation, and I need to run. And when you run, you need to run right to the arms of God and hide yourself in him and say, Lord, help me. You know, help me not to even want this tempt, you know, to do these things that these things are tempting me to do. I want to honor my loving heavenly father who bought me with the awesome price of his son and filled me with his Holy Spirit. The greatest reason to flee sexual sin is because of your love for your heavenly father and you do not want to offend him in the way that you are living. All, 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 basically, all consecration is, is living to please God. That's basically what it is. And I will live every area of my life to please him. Now, after he calls them to purity, he gives them a warning to all who read this letter. He said, therefore, he who rejects this does not reject God, does not reject me, but God who has given us the Holy Spirit. So, it's God's will, your sanctification. But what I want to look at tonight, it goes far beyond sexual purity and beyond being chaste and pure sexually. It's vital that we know what this word means for the simple reason that it is the will of God. This word sanctification, I just want to give you two words you've heard before. This word used for sanctification in 1 Thessalonians 4.3 in the New Testament and other passages is hagiosmos. Some people say hagiosmos, but it's hagiosmos. And this now preaches, I mean, this now speaks of moral purity with the idea of separation. This word that he's using here, it speaks of separation of the spirit from everything that is impure, defiling, and polluting, and unclean. It's a renunciation of sins which the desires of the flesh and the mind would lead us into. It also speaks of consecration that means to be set apart consecrated to God, to be set apart for common use to God. You know, the, all the vessels that they had in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, it was set apart for common use to God. And they were called holy because they were set apart unto God's use. So this main idea of sanctification is separation for what is sinful on one hand and displeasing to God and consecrated consecration to what is righteous on another hand according to the will of God. So it's two sides for it. It's separation and it's consecration. Now there's a verb that speaks of sanctification also. It's a verb sanctify and it's hagi adzo and it means to consecrate or to dedicate. And this verb is used a lot in the word of God but it just simply means to set apart and be holy. Because when something is sanctified, it becomes God's special possession. Every believer is God's special possession, set apart for God's use, set apart for God's glory, and holy before him, being holy before him. Now, all believers are saints. That means that you are the holy ones, not just a select few. So when one is born again by the Spirit of God, and we talked about that this morning, you are made holy. You are what theologians say, you are definitively sanctified. You are actually and really and truly made holy. That is an absolute moral change is made in your life, and you are a new creature in Christ Jesus, and you have been cleansed from all sin and all unrighteousness, and now you are a creature who can walk holy before the Lord God. 
And so that's why Paul is telling them, it's God's will that you, that you live a sanctified life because actually when you first got saved, you were set apart and consecrated and dedicated to God on that very day. I remember back years ago when I first got saved, the things that I had a taste for, I had a taste for no more. And it all changed. So, you know, I'm in all my zeal and I'm running around saying, yes, I've got the victory on all this stuff again. I'll never, ever like it again. Guess what? It come right back up. And then that's what I learned Christian warfare was all about. All Christian warfare is, and this is just me and this is my simple definition, it's you fighting what you used to be. Because the devil is trying to make you back what you used to be. So he brings these same temptations in your life and all these things that were down in you as a sinner, then Satan brings them right back to you in your life. And you just fight these things and you have to fight them over and over again till the end of life. Doesn't mean you don't get the victory over them sometimes, but this is what I'm saying. The devil doesn't give up. He just waits for a more opportune time. You know, he, he's looking for you to drop your guard. He's looking for you to be an open target. You know, he's looking for you, you know, you, they talk about these people to go in and shoot these places up. He's looking for a safe place or a soft space where he can go in and you have no guard up and then he can take you down. And that's why I'm talking about this tonight because, you know, when you talked about sanctification, God wants you and me to live a sanctified life. And one thing that I would say tonight at conversion, you were definitively sanctified, but he wants that process to go on and on and on until we die, until, and then after we die, the, the, the fight is over. Do you ever get weary fighting sometimes? I do. But you know what helps me? Number one is to get into the word of God. Number two, to get on my knees. And number three, go to church. <laughs> you know why? Because God will put men in the pulpit that will challenge you to live this life. And a lot of people say, well, you know, some of these men, they are mean and stuff, and they tell me I can't sin no more. Yeah, they're going to tell you that. And, you know, they tell me that if I do this or that, or I'm going to hell and stuff like that. But men really don't tell you that all the time. All they do is open up to you the precious word of God, which is able to save your soul. And they help you to put a barrier up at these temptations and stuff that come in your life. But when you are regenerated by the Spirit of God, you are really, truly, and personally sanctified and made holy and set apart to God. And that radical moral change takes place in your heart. And it's a once and for all moral change. But after that takes place, from that point on, what they call ongoing sanctification continues in the rest of the believer's life. And spiritual and moral, moral trans, uh, transformation begins in your life, and you progressively and daily are growing in holiness and conformity to Jesus Christ. And like I said, this process will continue till the day of death or the return of Christ. I like it when First John, John says, when we see him, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And, you know, some of the theologians said he's talking about status. Some of them says he's talking about character. I think he's talking about both of them because God's work will have been done. And, you know, we have the status as sons of God. And when we see him, we will be like him because he who had begun a good work in you has performed it until the day of Jesus Christ. And, you know, nobody will be perfect until we get these glorified bodies and things that we are promised. And I tell people all the time, and people say, I, I, I want to be perfect. I said, well, you have to die to do that right now because you'll go on the other side and you will be perfect. You know, the spirits of just me are made perfect. And they say, well, I don't want to die. Then I said, you need to keep fighting because that's the only way you'll be perfected. And so this fight will go on all our lives. And, you know, we want to see Christ and be like him. But this is a process, and it's an ongoing process, and it's an ongoing moral change that continues and takes place in the heart of God's people. And it has its foundation in that once and for all moral change that took place at conversion. Now, Paul says this, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, 
that he that has begun a good work in you. Now I'm reading out of the New King James. I think y'all might be reading out of the American Standard. My wife says y'all got a different Bible, although y'all need to get an up-to-date Bible, but just anyway. <laughs> but anyway, we have people that come to the church and they King James only. They will fight you over what text you use. I, really, I like them all, you know. <laughs> but anyway, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, and that work began a regeneration, that's where the process began, will complete it or perform it, or he will keep it going until the day of Jesus Christ. So I say that tonight because I don't, underst- I don't think a lot of Christians understand one thing. You belong to God. You were bought with a price, glorified by God in your body and your spirits, which are God's. And you have to live like you are God's because that's what pleases God. It pleases God to know that we're his children and we love being his children. And he loves for us to live to please him. And God is pleased with us because we are his children and because of what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to talk about tonight, just simple things tonight, the means used to make us more holy. Now, you know for sure that God uses trial, tribulation, and persecution, and all these things. God can use all these things, as we talked about a little bit this morning, to make you holy. But I want to point out two things that God really uses to make us holy in our heart. And number one is the Word of God. And number two is the Holy Spirit. Well, his name, you know, we call him the Holy Spirit, so... What do you think the work is going to be done that he does in you? It's going to be holy. And so those are two things that he does, and he uses them together. John 17, 17, set them apart or sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, when he says sanctify them by your truth, he's saying consecrate, cleanse them, purify them by your truth. Now, you will not be purified by the truth unless it's applied to your heart by the Holy Spirit. You know, at our church in Louisville, we, pre- we pray and we preach and we say it all the time. Without the Holy Spirit coming and blessing what we're doing, we can do nothing. We have no power. We are, without the Holy Spirit, we are a powerless church. And so we pray that every Sunday and whenever we meet and stuff, that the Holy Spirit would visit us and he would take the word of God and that he would apply it to our hearts and that he will take the word of God and and cause sinners to be saved. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, beloved brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for sanctification through the spirit or by the spirit and by belief of the truth. Truth does us no good if it's not applied by the Holy Spirit. You know, you can have a head full of knowledge, but if it doesn't always, you know, end up with a heart full of faith, it must be applied by the Holy Spirit. I know some of the guys that we have in our church, and I love our young people. We We have really good group of young people. And so we have a lot of younger men that are learning to preach and stuff, you know, and they already know how to preach. They preach good. And, but, you know, you have to tell them, listen, you don't have to use Greek words that big, you know. Just use simple stuff that people can, you know what I mean, that people can understand, you know. Pastor Jim's daughter told him one time, she says, I need for you to bring the word of God down to where a child can understand it. Of course, you need the Holy Spirit to help you to do that. You know what I mean? Even if you bring it down, you still need the Holy Spirit. But she was making a point. You know, this is not rocket science. This is the word of God. And it's plain and it's simple. And God makes wise the simple. And so when he says things like this, you just have to say, Lord, give me a heart to do these things. Give me a heart to follow, trust, and obey you, holy God. So, The third thing I want to talk about tonight is the simplicity of your sanctification. Simplicity. There's a negative side of it, and there's a positive side of your sanctification. The negative side is the mortification of sin. 
putting to death sin, crucifying the flesh with the affections and its lust. In other words, here's what we're saying tonight. Putting off everything that is unlike Christ. Putting to death everything that contradicts the will of God. And that's the negative side of it. I'm not going to say much more about that. I'm sure you've been talking about that over and over again. But that's, that's the negative side of sanctification. Now, there's a positive side, and that's the cultivation of grace. You put on everything that is like Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Put on everything that pleases God. A lot of people say, well, you know, I really want to know how to please God in my life. I said, go to Galatians chapter 5 and let the Holy Spirit work these virtues and fruit in your life. And that pleases God. Because God is concerned with our heart. God is concerned with how we live. It pleases God that we, you know, promote the gospel and all these things. But the main thing in our lives is our relationship with God. And we want to put on everything that pleases him. And we want to put on everything that is like Jesus Christ. You know, you think about these things sometimes. You go like, will I ever get out of this battle? Will I ever do this? You know, because I forget and I fall back into these sins and things like that. Where, you know, there's, there's forgiveness for sin. But what a lot of people do is that they fall down, but they don't get back up and fight. And we've had people that will come to us as pastors, and they want a formula to win this thing. And I'm going like, here's the formula, fight. That's it, fight. Ask God for help. Ask God for mercy. Fight in the power of God. Because you're not going to win it in your own strength. But he's given us all the means we need to fight this battle. And a lot of people do not want to use the means of grace. And so sanctification is slow or it doesn't take place like it should be. But sanctification is a struggle with remaining sin. And you have to ask your question, yourself a question tonight. Are you struggling? Are you fighting? Are you putting sin to death in your life? Because you're going to have to fight. And the church can pray for you. But the church can't fight it for you. It's you and your sin. And then you got the devil fighting against you with your sin. You know, all this. uh, That's why you need God. You can only defeat sin and the powers of darkness through the power of God. Now, question comes up tonight. How do I know that I am progressing in sanctification? You know, how do I know that I am growing in grace and knowledge of Christ? How do I know that God is doing a good work in me? Well, I'm going to give you three things that I borrowed from a brother, and I think these things are right. If sin is found in less duration in your life, and what he means by that is the time that you remain under sin, and you are quick to repent of sin, and you are conscious of sin being in your heart, and you're quick to repent, sanctification is taking place. I'm not saying that you don't ever sin, but he's talking about the time that you let sin linger in your life and in your heart. Because sometimes people let sin linger so long that it's like they never will get out of it. But you just ask yourself the question tonight, are you quick to repent of sin? And one of the major problems with sin that we have in one of the places is our mouth. I mean, we're quick to say things and never think about we said something to offend somebody or something to offend God or whatever. And, you know, we're just not quick to repent of it because we kind of kick some things that God thinks are serious over. It's not a big deal. You know, no, I didn't mean to say it and everything. And then you end up saying it again. No, are you quick to repent of sin? Second thing he says, sin is found in less degree. In other words, besetting sins in your life are more under control. You have them much more under control. When you first got converted, 
You still had to fight, you know, gross stuff happening in your life in words and thoughts and deeds and all these things. But now you have grown. And because of that, you have more power over your evil thoughts, imaginations, and you bring every thought into captivity unto the obedience of Christ. In other words, you learn how to fight using the word of God and putting the word of God in your heart and in your mind. And these besetting sins that were toppling you, you know now how to defeat these sins and that you can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the main things, and it would be in my life and probably a lot of people's lives, is James chapter 3, the tongue. I was telling the brethren at church, I said, I remember when I grew up, all of your radio stations were pure music. And you know, it might have been better then. I'm going to tell you why. Because now you have all these talk shows. And I'm not against talk shows because you need information to get out. But if you listen to some of these things sometimes, people are continually spewing hate you know, amongst each other. And I'm going like, so what a talk show has become is that you have got to be able to tear down and criticize someone. And it goes on day and night, day and night. They pay people millions of dollars to just talk, you know. And the Bible says, through much words, there is sin. You know, you know what the Word of God says? You can't talk too long without sinning. You know, and if you just keep talking, I'm not saying everything you say is sin, because preachers, we talk all the time, you know, but it's the Word of God. But it says too, too many words, there is sin, you know. And it doesn't mean that every time you say something or have a conversation that you're sinning, but you have to learn to tame the tongue. And, and James says if you do that, you're a perfect man. And what he means there is you are a mature Christian. If you can keep yourself, and I'm going to say this in Kentucky terms, from shooting off at the mouth. And it's so easy to do. Like we talked about this morning, marriage, you have to watch it in marriage. You know, we can say hurtful things, husbands and wives, you can do that. It's because you don't tame the tongue. And you know, like you, your, your, your proving grounds of your Christianity is in the home. And you know, like if you have children and you got your wife and everything, they know how you live. And, you know, we can come to church and, of course, we sang it this morning. I love that hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and sing it and be very, very impressive with all that. But what you need to do is go ask the family about you. Now, I'm not telling you to do that, but I'm, you understand what I'm saying. They know what you're really all about. You know, when we bring people in and we've got a young man on the waiting list now that's going to become a pastor and everything, and so they are... You know, we were checking him out and seeing his qualifications and things like that. And so we're asking people in the church, what do you think about him? You know, what do you think about his life? What do you think about his family? You know, what do you think about how he's living and things like that? And uh, I kind of laughed because I went through that. And when I went through that, I told Vanessa, I said, if they don't get through with this within a week or stuff, I'm quitting. I'm not going through this no more. People were asking us all kind of stuff. And I said, oh, my goodness. They, are, they, they had the magnifying glass out. Of course, years ago, we was a little bit extreme about things, you know. And at that time, they had the magnifying glass out. They wanted to know everything, which was good. I don't have no problem with that. And they even called my people at work where I work for, and they wanted to know about, you know. And I said, okay. I said, either I'll be a pastor or I'm not. If they tell me that I don't, I'm good with that, you know. I said, but I need to get out from under this looking glass. But you know what I didn't understand? God sees that all the time. He sees it all the time. You know, and so I'm going like, yes. And I always tell people, I love accountability. Keep me accountable. You know, keep me, when you keep me accountable, what you do is you keep me awake. You help keep me spiritually awake. And keep me accountable. And the third thing he talks about here is the frequency of sin. Now, what I mean by this is like when you first get saved, some people have a temper. And just to give you an illustration, and maybe you lost your temper 
uh, three times a day, and you would go off and say, Lord, forgive me. I didn't mean to scream and holler and start throwing things. You're only legal to do that if your team's losing their football. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding about that. Because <laughs> you'd be throwing stuff all the time if you had my team. But you don't understand what I'm saying? Like, you lose your temper. And when you lose your temper, you say things you shouldn't say and things like that. So maybe you did three times a day. And he gives the example. He says, but now that you have grown and you're being sanctified, you only lose it three times a year. Let's put it to you like this. You used to be hot-headed. That's where you didn't bring your spirit under control and, you know, you just let things go loose. But now you've learned to be angry and sin not. You know, you've learned. You used to be hot-headed, and I'm going to say this to give you a break. Now you're just warm-headed. And what I mean by that is, is you've tempered it down. And you're growing more and more as you get older and as you walk in the Lord. And you temper it more and more and more until someday you look up. And guess what? You have become such a sweet person. You never get angry. You never get mad. You know, and you have put these things under your feet because now, because you have grown in sanctification, you can exercise more self-control because you're growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness, you know, meekness, kindness, and things like that. And, you know, you tell some men of the world this day, I'm not doing that sissy stuff. It's just I'm not doing it. I'm a man. I need to let my emotions fly. No, no. A man is one who can control his emotions, one who can control his spirit, one who can walk with God in the faith and please God how he lives, specifically with his tongue. So you could say basically what he's saying here about the frequency of sin. He says the frequency in which you fall into sin has steadily been reduced. And now in your life, you are more consistent in self-control. And it's hard. What you see in your life now that you see, you didn't see years ago is long suffering patience, like I said, kindness, and you're being more and more in control over your life, and you have, street, you have ceased to strive and fight and argue and all these things that you were before salvation. Salvation doesn't cure everything at once, but salvation starts working on it and getting it out of your life, and you know the sanctification process is taking place. One of the places that we all fight a lot of temptation and stuff is in the mind. And, you know, and there are thoughts that come sometime, and I'm going like, where in the world did that come from? I know you probably had thoughts like that. And I'm going like, why did I think that? You know, and I hate the thought. So I immediately get on my knees and ask God to forgive me for even letting a thought like that come in my mind. And you have to stop them. Well, just for application tonight, Hebrews 12, 14. He says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no man will see the Lord or no one. So if you're here tonight and you're outside of Christ, sanctification is absolutely necessary for you to make it to heaven. And, you know, we talked about definitive sanctification. You must be made holy, and I'm going to say it this way, before you can be holy. You must be made holy before you can live holy. That moral transition has to take place in your life, and that's only possible through conversion and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and being filled with the Spirit of God. Saving faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to true holiness. And when this definitive sanctification takes place, this ongoing sanctification begins in your life, and that work that we talked about is being performed in your life, and the Lord will continue and he will keep it going until the day of Jesus Christ. I tell you, it can be painful to be sanctified. But you know what? It's a joy to know that God's working in me and working on me. 
And here's what I always tell people. They say, well, that's bondage and everything. You know what I'm glad of? I'm glad that God won't let me get by with nothing. He deals with me. And he won't, you know, that's not, you know, people say, well, that's just a little sin. Uh, a little sin can turn into big sins. But any sin is offensive to God. And you say, well, I'll just kind of let that one go. No. No, he wants you to put it to death. He wants you to stamp it out of his life. And he wants you looking more and more like his son. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 13, 1.30, he says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God, and he became in righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We have all that because of him. We have sanctification because of him. And because he had come into this world, as we talked about this morning, and died on that cross, it is possible now for us to be made holy and more and more holy. And the day will come when we will never, ever sin again. I think about that sometimes. I say, is that possible? Because I want to, no sin? What would that look like? What would that be like? You know, I mean, like, we see so much sin and we have to fight in our lives so much. You're going like, is that, you know, is, 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 but the word of God says it's going to happen. And so I believe what God says. And so what it does to the Christian is he starts longing for that day. He starts longing to get away from sin. He starts longing for that perfection that you, we've been promised in the word of God. And we long for our lives to be dictated by God and his holy will. Well, it is the will of God, your sanctification. And God will continue that ongoing sanctification until either we die or the Lord Jesus Christ returns. But let me say this tonight. It's a good work. It's a blessed work. Can you imagine if your home was at total peace because of sanctification that's taking place on everybody in the home? And, you know, there's no arguing, there's no bickering, there's no fighting, there's no deceit, there's no anything. And you have this peaceful home. With all the people in the world that have peaceful homes, the Christians should have peaceful homes because of God's work in them. And not just because of his work in them, but because they are submitting to his work in them. We had... (laughs) My wife has reminded me of this today, and this is not bragging on us. This is what one guy did. My, my, uh, my brother-in-law and my sister came to live with us one time, just stay, you know, they was visiting. And, you know, her husband, he was watching us how we lived. And after my sister was away from him, he got me and her alone and said, is this real? He said, are y'all putting on? And this, we were living like we know, don't get me wrong, we got, we got sinned. Okay, don't, he didn't see them parts, but anyway, but he was there for enough time to ask me, saying, is this real? And we were going, we're just us. And, you know, we said the glory goes to God. That's what we said, you know, for whatever you sin, because, you know, he could not believe that a husband and wife could actually get along like that, you know. And I said, hey, we have bad days. You know, we have days that we have to repent. We sin." You know, but he just, he couldn't believe that that was possible in a family that God could be working like that because he'd never seen it, you know, because he, I'm sure he'd known church people all the time, but since we've been saved, it's been a peaceful life. It's not been a, it hasn't been without wars and skirmishes, but it's been a peaceful life. And uh, that's the way I want to see peace in the churches, you know. I want people to come in this church and our church in Louisville and say, is this real? (laughs) Is this this really y'all? I mean, are y'all putting on here? You know, are y'all just doing it because it's Sunday or something? No, I want them to see that this is because of that great work of God and that sanctification process. And that's the whole body of Christ being sanctified and good and blessed things are being worked in our lives. Well, I want to leave you with this tonight. First Thessalonians 5, 23, the Apostle Paul says this. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ.
one of the greatest promises in the word of God, that God will preserve you until that day. But until that time, remember this, when you're in this world, it's God's will, our sanctification. It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. And he's working on our hearts. He's making us more and more like his son. And, you know, it's going to be some painful days. It's going to be some days you lose. You just got to get back up and fight. And if you get back up and fight, God is always with you when you're fighting. So a lot of people want to fight, you know, but they say, okay, I'm fighting in the strength of the Lord, but they think he's going to do all the fighting. No, he gives you strength to fight. He gives you the stamina, and he fills you with his spirit so that you're able to fight these battles and win. But it's his will. What is God's will for my life? Your sanctification. And, of course, we could say many, many more things in the Bible what God's will is. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you tonight that the good work that you have begun in your people throughout the whole world, you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We thank you that the day is coming that you will present to yourself a holy people in front of the whole universe. And Lord, you will present to yourself a people from every kindred, tongue, and nation that have been perfected by your Holy Spirit. Father, we count it a privilege tonight that we, you can work on our hearts and you can make us look more and more like your son. And Father, we pray that as this uh, transformation is taking place in our lives, that we would love Christ more and more and love ourselves less and less and walk and follow the Lamb of God. Father, I do pray for this body of believers. Lord, I pray that you will continue to bless them and add to their numbers. I pray, Father, that you will use them to take this gospel out to others. And Father, I pray that this church and all the churches would not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We thank you for your holy word tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.